1: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel
2: Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. What's up? What's up? It's the afternoon time. Yeah, we're doing it a little early today because I had something this evening. So we're in the heat of the day. It's Rachel hot. Rachel's a little glistening.
1: I got some <laughs> beads of sweat forming on my <laughs> face right now.
2: So we have a lot to get to today with our main story. But let's do you want to thank the pa- patrons, the new patrons? Let's
1: do that at the end of the show. <laughs> okay
2: cool. So should we get right into it? Let's do it. Okay. A few months ago, I did a two-part episode on the life and death of Natalie Wood, and when I was doing research for that those two episodes, I came across a lot of stories from other cast members in the movie Rebel Without a, Ca- a Cause. And holy shit, Rachel, like there is a ton of shit going on with the people involved in that movie. A lot of people request Salminio yes. on our board. He's like probably one of the top requested storylines. Right. Or story not storylines, but stories to cover. Uh, so I am going to get to that. Not today, but in part two, because this is a two-parter, Rachel. Uh it's there are your week. so many stories that came out of this movie that I just had to do them all justice. And I'm gonna just save that one for next week. I had to divide them up somehow, so that will be happening next episode. Okay, uh, and, and including that episode will be Salminio and the life and death of James Dean, including the the curse of his car that he died in, which has a whole oh. fucking like huge curse, like people who kept buying it and having tragic things happen. It's like Christine. Yes, exactly. So that will be next week. This week we are going to cover. The um, actor, one of the actors who was in the film, his name is Nick Adams, and he he was in one of the um, he was one of the gang members who were like, did you see Rebel Without a Cause?
1: When I was a kid,
2: okay. Well, obviously it's like there's a gang member, a gang that's sort right. of the rivals of uh, right. James Dean and his pals, and he was in that gang. I'm going to cover the Natalie Wood Kirk Douglas rape allegation rumor, uh, and then I have a story with uh, director Nicholas Ray and his second wife, actress, Gloria Graham, that is fucking mind blowing. (laughs) I'm going to save that for last today. So first I'm going to kind of go into the movie because there's a lot of interesting stories that happened with Nicholas Ray, his life, and then how the movie kind of came about. And then we'll get into the other things. So that's that. I mean, Nicholas Ray is kind of a fascinating character to me. He grew up in a troubled home, obviously, (laughs) like almost everybody involved in Hollywood in any way. He actually studied at Taliesin, which is a Frank Lloyd Wright, like, home and where he had, like, these sort of classes. So he studied under Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect. Yeah. And that was at the invitation of Frank Lloyd Wright, actually. He left there under mysterious circumstances. There's actually a really cool – or not cool, but, like, crazy Taliesin story. Maybe we'll cover it at some point. Okay. It's insane. Uh, Very murder and insane. So after that he actually went to work for like a real lefty theater company called Theater of Action. And that is where he met Elia Kazan, the famous director and communist. (laughs) <laughs> uh, he worked as Elia's co- assistant on the movie A Tree Grows in Brooklyn, and that's kind of where he started getting into filmmaking and he began his own career as a director. In 1949, he directed A Woman's Secret, and that is where he met future wife Gloria Graham. And we're, like I said before, we're going to get into their story later because it's insane. <laughs> Eventually, uh, he directed several more big movies, including a movie called Johnny Guitar, which starred our exorcist voice, Mer- Mercedes McCambridge. That's right. Um, and that also starred uh, Joan Crawford. So Johnny Guitar was like a huge hit movie. And it was at that point that Warner Brothers really started investing in Ray as a director. And they wanted him to direct a movie called Rebel Without a Cause. The movie was actually based on a book by Dr. Robert Lindler. And that the book was like kind of like how Mean Girls was based on a clinical psychology book, right? It was similar to that. So this was a clinical study of disturbed incarcerated youth whose violent past was revealed under hypnosis. Warner Brothers bought the rights to the book in 1946, and they had two actors in mind at the time, one being Marlon Brando and the other being future director Sidney Lumet. So neither one of those worked out. The studio had the property for over eight years. And then in the early 50s, Juvenile delinquency like really took off in the media as like a hot, hot thing to Reefer do. Madness. Yeah, uh the big movie at the time would have been Blackbird Jungle, like just kind of hitting on that teenage, you know, juvenile delinquent craze yeah. that was happening. Even though Ray wasn't really interested and he kind of didn't like basing it on that book, he was sort of fascinated. Uh, by the idea of it. Right. He didn't like the fact that the book focused on psychopaths or like people coming from poor and abusive families. He started developing a uh, story called The Blind Run, which was like a very brutal and sort of shocking (laughs) montage of criminal acts and like really like delinquent behavior. And what he really wanted to do was make it about people like us. Yes. Like these weren't kids who were delinquents. These were like suburban youth who got bored and were frustrated and had bad relationships with their, you know, well well-off parents, et cetera. So he finally hooked up with a screenwriter uh, and they started writing the script that would become uh, rebel without a cause. Now Ray almost from the start knew exactly who he wanted to play Jim Stark, who is the lead of that movie and that was James Dean, who had come to Ray's attention through Kazan because they had just finished working together on East of Eden. Elia Kazan warned Ray against using James Dean. According to Kazan, he said, I became very impatient with the Dean legend early on. Brando was Dean's hero, but Marlon was well-trained by Stella Adler and had excellent technique. Dean had no technique. So it was like a Dean was just raw talent, like whatever you think of him. He was not like a trained actor, like these people coming out of uh, the actor's studio or whatever. So he was like, you don't want him. I, I mean, I guess he's like probably a little bit difficult to work with at that period. I mean, that was his first movie. But Ray was also like similarly damaged type of person and he really related to... James is like not only his performance, but he felt like a simpatico with him as far as their lives were concerned, like Mm -hmm. they came from very similar circumstances. They both grew up fatherless. That was like sort of their main connection, which sort of plays into the movie because James Dean has a really bad relationship with his father in this movie or both of his parents, I guess. James Dean's father actually kind of even sort of disowned him. His mother died when he was young of ovarian cancer. And he never had respect for James Dean, his acting career, or his success in that. Like, he was just, like, a real cold bastard. Ray told, like, a crazy story about his father who, um, and the story was, he said, during Prohibition, there was 21 saloons and speakeasies on one street. I learned to drive when I was 13 so I could get my father home safely after he had, like, a nightly round on the speakeasies. At the age of 14, I learned of his mistress. At the age of 15, I made an unsuccessful pass at her. One night, my father could not be found. Ray actually was only 16 at the time. He finally found him, and his dad was drunk and dying in his mistress's hotel bedroom. He took his father home and nursed him all through the night. And then the next day, he came from home from school, and his dad was dead in the house. <laughs> so that's like Damn. a pretty fucked up yeah. life, right? So they kind of had this connection that was beyond just like working together. Right. Um, as adults, they were both introverted loners, like... And they distrusted authority, like all of like these similar kind of things that you can imagine come from living a life that they both kind of grew up around. So after he saw the screening of East and Eden, he pretty much knew that this was the perfect guy to play the lead in his his movie. Warner Brothers, however, was not on board with it, and they didn't think it was good for the movie and for Dean. They were still trying to push Ray to cast someone along the lines of Robert Wagner, actually, wow. who was married to uh, Natalie Wood. Uh, and Tab Hunter, which all seemed like insane choices, to me, like after the fact. Right. They also, they also wanted, they also thought that Dean should hold out for a better movie because he was coming off this real prestige piece. Yeah. And they thought Rebel was kind of not an important film; that it was just going to be a kind of exploitation teen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was going to actually originally be in black and white, so they were not thinking this was going to be a big, big iconic type movie. Ray actually was so sure that James Dean had to be the lead rebel that he named the character Stark, which was an anagram of Trask, the name of Dean's character in East of Eden. And basically behind the scenes, uh, Dean said to him, I'm doing this movie. So they were like on board, even if Warner Brothers wasn't initially. So the equally important role of Judy was also being cast. One of the original people that was seen for that role, actually, and that's the Natalie Wood role, by the way, uh, was Jane Mansfield. Interesting. The original concept of her was that she was a much trashier girl. So he, ha- Ray had Mansfield read for the screen test, but it just wasn't what either the, the studio or him ultimately wanted. And Natalie Wood was desperate for the part. We touched upon this a bit in the first episode of that two-parter. She was 16 at the time, and she was really trying to transition from kid roles to adult roles. So this was definitely a perfect sort of bridge to that. And her mom was really domineering. We've touched on her in the past too, and she didn't want her to do it at all. Uh, Gavin Lambert, who wrote a biography on Natalie Wood and was also Ray's assistant at the time, she, he had this to say, she was very young, and that was always attractive to Nick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. How quickly did Nick realize that he found her extremely desirable, and how soon did Nick make his move? Well, the interview took place in the first week of February and by the time she made her first screen test ten days later, they were lovers. Oh. So Nick is fucking an underage girl pretty much. I mean, not pretty much. Exactly Exactly. much. (laughs) Uh, So that's kind of a crime I would say. Yes. (laughs) She did get the part. (laughs) Sorry. Like he did initially think that she wasn't right for the part also because she was such a good girl at the time. Yeah. So not only did he cast her, but it kind of it kind of informed the role of Judy and like what she was in the movie as well. Uh, she actually at some point got into a, an accident on a night out. Well, I think it was right when she was cast. And when Ray actually went to the hospital, checked to check on her and she was in the hospital room and the doctor actually called her a juvenile delinquent. And she was basically like, did you hear that? Nick? (laughs) I'm a juvenile delinquent. Like he thinks I'm I'm perfect for the part. Yeah. As I said, she did get the part, obviously. And uh, at some point, there was only one girl who has shown the capacity to play Judy, and she is Natalie Wood. That's what Ray wrote to the Warner Brothers when trying to convince them to cast her. And she, like I said, kind of informed the new take on the role. Like, she was mysterious, and she just brought a different energy than the trashy girl would have brought, I think. The last big puzzle piece of the movie to be cast was Sal Minio, and he was sort of, he plays like sort of, The guy who looks up to James Dean in the movie. He's just sort of like, you know, worships him. And he has an interesting life. I'll get into that uh, next week more. Uh, There was also rumors actually, and this rumor was spread by Gore Vidal, that Ray also had an affair with Minio at the time. And Ray has, I I don't know if it's like confirmed, but people, he's well known to have been bisexual. Yeah. uh, So it's not... I don't know if it's ever been officially confirmed, but it's pretty much known. Uh, Actually, Lambert, the guy who wrote the biography of Natalie Wood and was Ray's assistant, said that at some point he did talk to one of Ray's daughters, Nika, and she was writing a book of her father at the time and wanted to talk to Lambert. And he even said to her that him and Nick were on and off lovers for a while. Speaking of sexuality, Wood's affair with Ray kind of opened her up sexually, like, I don't know if it was her first lover. I didn't see anything saying that. But she also started having an affair with Dennis Hopper on the set, who was um, in the movie. He played a character named Goon. And he, I think I talked about it in the, the Natalie Wood episode, there was some conflict between Hopper and Nicholas Ray when they realized they were both fucking the star of the movie. I mean, that can't be good, right? No. And and the studio actually told Hopper to cut it out like at some point because it was creating too much trauma on the movie. Uh, the script meeting started in March of that year. They, they had these script meetings finalizing the script at Chateau Marmont and the movie started shooting at the famous Griffith, planet, Griffith Park Planetarium. I mean, that's probably the most famous scenes in the movie. Uh, and that started March 30th of that year, 1955. From the get-go... James Dean was a problem on the movie. He didn't show up, and no one knew where he was for, like, the first few days of shooting. And part of that, people speculate, was because the relationship between him and Nicholas Ray got too intense. Um, he was sort of just starting to come to terms with being really famous, and it, he felt like cla- it was a claustrophobic relationship because Nicholas really had taken it to this next level. So was, was he was he really angsty, like his character, yes. IRL? Yes, he was, he was angsty. I mean, he was everything. I mean, he's playing these roles. Like I said, he didn't have this technique, but that's who he was. These initial roles that he was playing, I think he's only in three movies, used to be in this and Giant. He kind of plays this character. I mean, Giant, he's a bit older. They like aged him, but whatever. Yeah. So he's this angsty character for sure. Now I told you initially Warner Brothers thought that this was just like a B movie, whatever. It was being filmed in black and white, which was cheaper. At some point when they started seeing the footage, they realized – This was going to be a big deal. And they wanted to start reshooting everything that they had shot in color. East of Eden had just been released and they realized that they had a huge fucking star on their hands. Right. He was getting 400 fan letters a week already, like just initially from the start. Well, he's Um, super hot. Yeah. He's super hot. And it's just this movie is like perfect for that audience who was his fan base, like teenagers. Totally. Now, it was when the movie went into color that the costume department was instructed to buy something for him that would work in color. And that's when they bought the red windbreaker that he's wearing and all of the iconic images and posters from that movie that basically became a symbol for that movie. I mean, that jacket's pretty famous. I thought that was kind of interesting that it wasn't even that until they started to shoot the movie in color. I mean, the whole set was, like I said before, volatile. The mom, the character of the Jim's mom, was said to be based on Natalie's controlling and shrewish mom. So it's just like a life, like a bunch of shit going on in this movie. Everyone's like an emotional wreck on it. So it finally ended shooting on May 26, 1955. That was 11 days behind schedule. And the final night, they all went to uh, Googie's, which was like a 50s-style diner where they were hanging out a lot when they were shooting the movie. Uh, and they had like it was like a real celebratory moves the um celebratory end to the movie. The kids didn't want the movie to end. Nick didn't want the movie to end, and people speculate like that was sort of the last night of his happy <laughs> existence. Damn for Nicholas Ray, and um, maybe some other people. Who knows? Uh, he basically knew he had an important work on his hand. That it was more than even what Warner Brothers thought. It had like a social message that he was trying to um portrayed um and he was really pushing warner to give him like editorial control and just really wanted to make the movie he wanted to make basically one week before the movie is released on september 30th 1955 james dean died in the car car crash that took his life or yeah obviously (laughs) that's how he died (laughs) in that car crash that we all know about so he died one week before the movie opened damn i mean that's insane i didn't know that I mean, I knew he died in a car crash. Let's just be right. clear Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know he died a week before. You didn't only... know that he died in a car crash that took his life? <laughs> no, he? I didn't know he died right before the movie came out. Right. Yeah, that was crazy. The other sad aspect to it, uh, and I'm going to get more into this in next week's episode when I talk to him, I talk about him. Uh, We're doing a seance yes. to contact James. We're talking to him. So, I mean, tell all your friends. <laughs> James Dean and Nicholas Ray, by that end of the movie... They were like brothers. Like all of the angst that James Dean had yeah. at the beginning was gone. And they were planning on uh, creating a production company together. So when he died, it took like a really large part of Nick's dream away yeah. as well. A co worker described it as being like De Niro and Scorsese. Like if De Niro had died really young, we would have no Raging Bull, no Goodfellas, like Goodfellas, all of those. Uh, movies. So it was sort of like losing that for Nicholas Ray, like that kind of relationship that was going to create all this. He was his muse. Exactly. And then Ray, his life is really interesting. I'm not going to go into it a lot, but he pretty much fell into a life of unemployment. Eventually he actually ended up having a heart attack on the set of a movie starring Charlton Heston. And people speculate that was because he was taking meth which at that time was a cure for alcoholism that people thought was a cure for alcoholism have you heard of that uh no but they did experiment with LSD in the 50s to try and
1: cure alcoholism
2: oh okay didn't work well
1: i'm just telling you what i thought I, I believe it <laughs> yeah because I, I feel it.
2: like there's probably whatever like speed maybe they thought if they could get them up or, i don't know it's yeah. crazy he also was a huge gambler so he went into a ton of uh, gambling debt um and that's all i'm going to talk about with him today now I'm going to get into the rape rumor between Natalie Wood and Kirk Douglas because it happens... It's basically this springboards off the fact that she did have this affair with Nicholas Ray. It, According to some people, it gave this idea that she'll do anything to get apart, kind of that mentality. So people speculate that men started trying to take advantage of that fact. I mean, obviously she's a star. She was a star at the time. It's right. not like she was sleeping to get her big break but anyways we all know but she had a but she had a reputation she had a bit of a reputation now because of that affair I think the rumors of this kind of first started coming forward after she died in 1981 although the rumors about this rape had been kind of under the radar since the 1950s most of the time it was sort of like a major actor at the time they never put a name to Mm -hmm. it Uh, and she refused to reveal the name of the person involved throughout her whole life. In 2011, a book came out about the life of the actress, and it was then that it was first sort of speculated that the abuser had been Kirk Douglas. A year after that, in 2012, there's a blog, I think we've talked about it before, called Crazy Days and Crazy Nights. Yes. And it's like a Hollywood blind item kind of blog. An anonymous user on that blog stated that Douglas while drunk. Drunk, had raped her when she was just 18 years old, and that she didn't call him out or report him at the time because he was a huge money machine. And, like, you know, I mean, it's the same thing that's happening now. People are afraid to, and I'm sure studios are protecting them and other powerful people are protecting them. So, whatever. A lot
1: of, most people don't report rape even when it's not a famous person. Exactly.
2: Exactly. So, Here's what happened on the blog, basically, because there's like another twist to this story that's insane. There was a mysterious longtime commenter on Crazy Days and Crazy Nights, and his name was Him with like four Ms. Him. Uh, He, at one point, he was posting a lot of things on the blog. At one point, he posted a blind item about a longtime actor who was sleeping with underage women, abusing women, and forcing them to get abortions. If you don't know the blog, a lot of people start trying to guess within the comments. So this person that people guessed, and it seems like it might be the person, was Ryan O'Neill. Now, after that sort of incident happened, uh, he came back and started making the claims about the Kirk Douglas-Natalie Wood rape story. So let me get this straight. This guy, him, posted about what... People think is Ryan O'Neill, just being an abusive teenage fucking abortion forcing right. asshole. So this guy then goes on to talk about the Natalie Wood, Kirk Douglas rape, rape, thing. and this is where that originated. Kirk Douglas's name originated from this blog. I think it originated in the book, but it was sort of the there was no verification of it from okay. that book. Okay, so this guy now is talking about it on this anonym, anonymously on this blog. Okay. Uh, As I said before, the rumors had been around for years. um, But him had a lot of credibility on this Crazy (laughs) Days and Crazy Nights blog. So it wasn't just like any old loser was doing it. He had a lot of detail in his story. And the other thing that kind of made people believe him more is that people started spreading rumors separately about who him was in real life. And it and who him was in real life, and this is not confirmed, but everyone thinks it is, is Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> no way. Yes. Wow. Okay, so think of that when I'm telling you all of this stuff. So he lays out in three very long paces, um, postings about this Kirk Douglas, Natalie Wood story. It begins with him introducing uh, an introduction of describing Wood in all of her kind of history, how she wanted edgier roles and da-da-da-da-da how she had the affair with the older director and that other actors, like I said before, thought she would sleep with anyone for a part. And one such actor was Kirk Douglas and he went beyond trying to barter for sex for in order for her to get a role. Uh, he raped her, basically. So here's his story and I'm just going to read it because I can't, I'm just going to quote it because it's crazy. So one day she was invited to meet with this movie star about an upcoming role. The man was legend already and was very powerful. Thinking... She herself was powerful and savvy. She accepted the invite in his hotel room. She never saw it coming without even discussing the film. This actor drunk already began making a pass at her. She politely declined and excused herself. He wouldn't have it. He literally threw her down, slapped the hell out of her and ripped her clothes off. He shouted obscenities at her and continually punched and held her arms so tight. He left scars and bruises. He raped her repeatedly spitting on her and did permanent damage to her body. She was bleeding everywhere with a battered face. She passed out. When she came to, the actor was still in the room gloating and told her to come see him tomorrow night and he might give her the role. He laughed at her as she fell down. Her legs were so wobbly and weak. She gathered her torn clothes and tried to walk out of the hotel room to her car, blood and semen running down her legs and bruises already forming on her face. She could barely make it back home in her car. She wanted to kill herself, so ashamed of what had happened. The damage to her psyche was permanent and haunted her forever. Her mom said she must have made the actor mad and offended him. They called a doctor who took her to the hospital secretly to have her treated. The studio knew and did nothing. After all, the star actor was a money machine. She grew into an amazing woman with a legendary career, but she never forgot or forgave and never got over what happened. She never named the actor publicly, but her friends and family knew the truth. Even after marriage and kids, if she saw the actor anywhere, she would almost convulse and cry. And worst of all, Hollywood and the world continued to honor him, pay him, and treat him like a king. Today, he's still alive and barely holding on. And those who know the truth are still hoping and praying he will rot in hell for eternity, that all his good deeds and donation will never mask the truth. So when the time comes, and the now 95-year-old Kirk Douglas, he, act- he says it. like I like how he acts like it's a blind item, and then all of a sudden he's like, hey. <laughs>
1: FYI, yeah. this is who I'm if talking you about. Get
2: it? The superstar actor finally dies. There will be tributes and honors about him. Just remember that he is a monster who never repented, apologized, nor showed any sorrow for destroying the lives of others, especially that of the young beloved actress named Natalie Wood. I worked with Natalie's daughter on a film in the late '90s. Like her mother, Natasha oh. is an amazing woman, an amazing actress who is a great person in every way. I know you guys have speculated that I'm some nobody nutcase pretending to be somebody else pretending to be a movie star when in fact I'm not. I think that's hilarious. But if you want to call Natasha and ask her the name of the male actor she co-starred with in the movie with Heather Graham, then go for it. <laughs> call her at home. Then he puts her number up. No. Yeah. And remember, she's not in on this, so don't blame or interrogate her. Okay. So obviously the movie would be two girls and a guy, which starred Natasha Gregson Wagner. Natalie Wood's daughter, and Heather Graham, and Robert Downey Jr. Right. Eventually, these comments are all deleted by him. And obviously, Robert Downey Jr. spokesperson denies that he is him. Now, part of me is like, I don't really know. Because it's like, well, why would he be so obvious? Like, to say, if you don't believe me, just see who is the actor in a movie. <laughs> like, like you would take you two seconds to Google. It's not like any right. deep digging you'd have to do. Right. So I don't really know. I think it's... I think it's pretty outrageous that this
1: whoever this person is gave out a phone number. Was it a real phone number? Yes,
2: <laughs> and like people know that she had like the same. It was like in an area where she did live i I don't know like well, you could fake that right. All of that stuff could be faked like if they could find it, he could find it right right like i I just think it's hilarious that. But I
1: also – I mean, look, I don't really believe it's Robert Downey Jr. I'm being very skeptical about this because – but I do think it is hilarious that this person's like, hmm, who could I pick to be? <laughs> I mean, it's not
2: a very smooth fakery. It's
1: not, it's not very smooth. But I
2: do believe the Kirk Douglas story. Yeah. I mean, kind of. Like, I don't find it unbelievable. I don't
1: find it unbelievable either. I find this – I wish we g- had
2: her, her version of it. Like, I do wish – Natalie's? Yeah. Of course. I mean, I would love to know it.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, and,
2: and this is not a rumor – that hasn't been said before right like so i don't know but that's a very detailed account of what had happened the
1: first time i ever heard the kirk douglas rumor actually was pretty recently like in the past few years he was right. honored at the Oscars, yes
2: and people were tweeting about it
1: right people were tweeting about it like he's a rapist and i looked into it just a little bit on twitter i and think I-, I
2: might have tweeted about it
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go back
2: and look at your tweets. I bet you I did because I remember when he was being honored and it was it was right right in the Me Too whatever the height of that right and it was kind of like it was recent yeah because it's like it's one of those things it's like well do we listen to every everything or do we pick and choose like what's the deal right. You know, like be consistent. I don't know. So yeah, check out my tweets unless I deleted it for some reason, (laughs) which is
1: possible. Well, we always delete award show tweets. Yeah. Because they they become irrelevant. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
0: Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel pcom com slash H-C-S.
2: I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? The next story I'm going to get into is about the actor Nick Adams. So as I said before, he was in the gang of delinquents that were a nemesis of Jim and his pals. His name is Nick Adams. He was in a bunch of movies, but he's probably most well known for a television show called The Rebel. Uh, Some of the big movies he he was in is like like Pillow Talk might be the most famous one people know other than Rebel, which he had a small part. But he's also really well known because he had really close friendships with James Dean and Elvis Presley, who he met. Um, I think in Love Me Tender, uh, one of Elvis's movies. So Nick got into acting through Jack Palance, who he met in New York sometime while, uh, Jack was on Broadway with something. And he kind of encouraged Nick to get into acting. Nick is not like a traditionally like good looking guy, but he definitely had like a vibe to him that probably would work well in the fifties. Right. Uh, and I think from all accounts, he was a pretty decent actor he had a small role in Rebel Without a Cause, as I said, and he g- became really close with James Dean on the set of that. During breaks uh, while filming, James Dean and Nick Adams would impersonate Elia Kazan and Marlon Brando and kind of <laughs> crack the, the cast up. Uh, that's such an actor crack up. Hey, guys. Here's my Elia Kazan imitation. We're at the actor's studio. Whoa. Uh, sorry. I'm sure theirs was better than mine. I don't even know what mine was. That was a really good impression. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, Dean actually publicly spoke about his affection for Nick Adams. He said, like, I wouldn't be surprised to find myself and Adams doing a two-a-night club routine and a- acting in a comedy by William Shakespeare when production wrapped. He talked about how Natalie Wood and Nick and Sal Mineo were no longer just his co-workers. They were close friends, and about the only friends he had in the town, and he wanted to work with them. So he like really liked Nick Adams. After Dean's death in that car accident, Adams actually overdubbed some of Dean's lines for the film Giant, which was his last film that came out after Rebel. And he also dated Natalie Wood at some point as well. Adams was like a bit of a hustler. He did try to capitalize on Dean's fame and his relationship with Dean through some kind of, like, a few publicity stunts. Mm -hmm. He, like, he claimed to be stalked by a crazed female Dean fan. Uh, He allowed himself to be photographed at Dean's grave in, like, a reflective pose, (laughs) sorry, holding flowers. It's, like, very more, like, maybe that's where Morrissey got the idea for the suede head video. Okay, shout out to all my, my goth fans. (laughs) (laughs) So he was, like, doing kind of this stuff, like, really playing up that. Yeah. Because he kind of was, like, not that famous, so it was like yeah. he was using it to get get what he wanted. Well,
1: I just looked at a picture of him. There's even a picture of him wearing this like bright red jacket.
2: Right, he's trying to go for that, like, hey, you know, do you guys need a new <laughs> new icon? I'm available. I'm available. If you wanted to fuck James Dean, here I am. He also kind of got into fast cars, so he really like upped, like, hey, I'm a delinquent too, kind yeah. of thing. Like I said before, he kind of started working a bit more. He was in the movie adaptation of the of Picnic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was his like big first really big role and then he like i said before was in love me tender in 1956 with elvis presley and they developed a close friendship also partially that was because presley was obsessed with james dean and so he had this person who really knew james dean that he could kind of like have that kind of connection to the guy he really idolized at the time elvis was in hollywood and his um notoriously controlling manager colonel tom parker didn't like that Elvis would have this other influence because he really tried to keep a tight rein in on Elvis. Mm-hmm. Other people didn't like Colonel Parker, and he was kind of using Nick Adams to keep Elvis in line. So Elvis, I mean, Colonel Parker and Nick Adams had like a little agreement that Nick would kind of keep his eye and watch out for Colonel Parker's interest. So he's not really Elvis's friend. He's just kind of taking what he can get wherever he can get it. Totally. Other people in Elvis's like. Did not like Nick Adams. They saw him as like who what he was basically a brash struggling actor scheming to kind of further his own career by his relationships to these more famous people. One of the a writer who wrote a book on Elvis described it as this way. uh, Sorry, sorry. Described it this way. He was trying to hitch his wagon to a star. The first being James Dean. About who whose friendship he was noisily boastful this made it easy for parker to suggest that nick be invited to join elvis's growing entourage of paid companions and for nick to accept following adam's hiring there appeared a newspaper item stating that nick and parker were writing a book on elvis together of all of elvis's new friends nick adams by background and temperament the most insecure was also his closest so he really became close to elvis which is kind of sad because that closeness was really felt by elvis and not nick adams yeah I mean, I'm sure Nick Adams liked Elvis. There was another girlfriend in Elvis's life at the time. Her name was June Wanitko. And she also complained about their complaint, their close relationship. And Elvis's mother also thought that Adams was a pushy little fellow as she, she described him as with Dean Adams also really tried to capitalize on his association with Presley. He published an account of their friendship in May of 1957 in like a fan magazine after um, Elvis's mother died in 1958. Parker wrote in a letter, Nicky Adams came out to be with Elvis last week, which was so very kind of him to be there with his friend. So even Parker is kind of giving him publicity in this quid pro quo kind of arrangement they had. Is he doing movies at Or just hanging around? No, he's kind of doing movies, but he's not like a super in-demand actor. Right. So, yeah, it's kind of simultaneously. He's just kind of befriending Elvis, trying to get a boost for his career. He does eventually, after Nick dies, his daughter does publish like accounts that he wrote at the time of his friendship with him called The Rebel and the King. Uh, That was written in 1956 and then published in 2012 by his daughter, so that's like 45 years later. Yeah. So he does eventually pay off in that career, but he's not there to see it. In 1959, as I mentioned before, he is cast in this TV series called The Rebel, and that's a pretty big TV series at the time. He also was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in a movie called Twilight of the the Honor, and he plays a murder suspect in that. I've never seen it and don't know it. So he wasn't like unsuccessful right he just wasn't a huge star now in 1959 he marries a woman named carol nugent who was uh an extra or something on the rebel they have kids and they have a really fucked up tumultuous marriage like they're literally on and off again a million times he goes on a show called the less crane show which is a talk show at the time uh in 1965 and basically announces he's leaving his wife on live tv oh. without telling her what and she's completely clueless yeah this is sort of the beginning of his tragic free fall, by the way. That is the worst way to break uh, up with yeah. someone. They get back together, by the way, after that. No, absolutely uh, not. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely not. Um, but then they separate again. Their divorce proceedings are a nightmare. He gets custody of the kids. They get reconciled again. Then they go back to divorce court. I mean, it's just back and forth. They're suing each other for defamation. Uh, like the, He, according to her uh, beat him, beat her during their marriage, and choked her, and struck her, and threatened to kill her. Like, I mean, it's just a nightmare. This is sort of like where his life starts sort of unraveling apart, at least personally. On the night of February seventh, nineteen sixty-eight, a lawyer and a friend of his, who happens to be an LAPD officer, go to the actor's house when he doesn't show up for a dinner appointment. They see a light on inside and his car is in the garage. They broke through a window and they discover Adams in his upstairs bedroom, slumped over, dead against a wall. He's 36 years old, by the way. Thomas Noguchi, our favorite right. <laughs> medical examiner, right. does the autopsy and finds that he had peraldehyde, which is a sedative, and other drugs in his bodies that, I mean, at a, at a quantity enough to cause almost instant unconsciousness. The def- Certificate lists peraldehyde and promisin intoxication as the immediate cause of death, along with a notation: accident, suicide, undetermined. <laughs> with a question mark? There's no question mark, but I'm adding it because I okay. don't really know. During the 1960s, drug interaction warnings weren't as big a deal as they are now. Like people, people know. Were I mean, it they're still alcohol. bad, but people don't even know. it. People didn't even have anything, like, right. Like, don't do this and that together. I mean, obviously, that's happened now where we do have them, and it's still dangerous. Though. Totally. People still are fucking up uh, and accidentally dying of drug overdoses because they don't know. Because of this sort of uncertain death, <laughs> like, people don't really have an official cause. There's no suicide note. Clearly, it could just be an accidental drug overdose. Like, Right. But... It's just one of these unsolved Hollywood mysteries that people have been speculating about ever since it happened, pretty much. And the the big sort of speculation that's sort of the most out there is that he was murdered because he was planning to write a tell-all book revealing all of his sexual secrets throughout Hollywood. Some of the reasons people are speculating that that might be the case is because they claim that there was no trace of this drug, Peraldehyde, which, by the way, was a sedative that was given to alcoholics at the time to also help them treat their alcoholic alcoholism. There was never any of that found in his home. So, like, he it was, had it in his system, but there was no vial of it or whatever. He wasn't taking it. Right. Now, his brother at the time was a doctor, and he said that he prescribed the sedative to him. So... I mean, it's just like these kind of things where people are looking for these, like, wait a minute, why wasn't this bottle here? Like, but you don't really know how he had it. He could have had it in a baggie. He could have thrown the bottle out a long time ago. Like, there's lots of reasons why that could be. But that's like one of the prime reasons people think that something else might have happened. His children have kind of gone along with it over the years. That he was murdered. Yes. Like, they've gone back and forth too, I think. But the other thing is he didn't have any alcohol in his blood at the time of the autopsy. So they're like, the speculation that he died because of a combo isn't also the, the truth. As I said before, people speculate the murder because of this tell-all book, right? Yeah. So this is very similar to um, Krista Helm, right? Right. Well, there, there's a reason. It's not just sex. It's that the people he had those close friendships with, James Dean and Elvis Presley, he had sexual relationships with. One of the biggest, one of the sort of earliest published accounts that this was what happened or that he was having these affairs with sort of the biggest male stars in Hollywood was written by gossip columnist Rona Barrett in her 1974 autobiography. She didn't say that he was homosexual or bisexual, but she said that uh, Adams had told her and like a, a lot of other people who were in the room at the time that because he wasn't making it, because no one in Hollywood's upper, like the power levels would accept him that he had to do these things to kinda make it in the world of Hollywood, whatever, like have these kind of relationships. Stick around. I mean, there's other people who have said similar things that he would put the make on these really prominent actors, including some other people that I've never heard of, and Anthony Perkins, who I have heard of, and James Dean, and that like he was like basically considered someone who was I don't know if this is like a thing, gay for pay. Like he was not gay, but he he could manage it. To kind of get ahead in his career, right. So I don't know that he was bisexual. I mean, you would know more on this topic than I, I do. I think if this gossip is true, it sounds like he's
1: like opportunistically, right. willing to have sex, right. with men.
2: Yeah. So I mean, he and he did have this reputation as being a hustler and a Hollywood. Whatever. It doesn't mean that he's not straight. I
1: I, necessarily. No, I don't really
2: care. Yeah, personally. I don't give a it shit. It doesn't matter to me. But that's like the back and forth. Uh, I am interested if that's what he was doing and that could have led to his murder, though. Right. I mean, as we both know at the time, you couldn't be gay in Hollywood. No. So these people are set up on dates with actresses, usually, like beards or whatever you want to call them. And it's usually like promotional for both of them. Right. Like, we're going to hook these two up. So Um, no one suspects. Right. I mean, James Dean, I think, is pretty well known to be bisexual. Yes. Like, I don't think that's a, a question. So And and Nick did kind of do these dating things with like Natalie Wood, like I said before, and some other sort of lesser-known actresses who might have been up-and-comers at the time but aren't really famous now. There's no evidence that any of those rumors are true either. It's just Um, speculation. It's speculation. And people have even speculated, even if he wrote stuff like that in the book, it could just be him trying to capitalize on the more famous people again. So even if he says in his book, I
0: I fucked James Dean,
2: it's not necessarily true either. He just might not even care about how it affects his reputation. What we are, what we know for sure is that he died tragically young. Yeah. uh, And of a drug overdose. So the speculation is what happened and and there's no, I mean, it seems pretty clear to me that it was just an accidental drug overdose. Right. I mean, that would be my guess, but I am interested if he was like in relationships with these guys, that's kind of an interesting along the lines of Scotty Bowers type story. Right. Um, Because especially with Elvis, That's not something I've ever heard before. I've never
1: heard about Elvis having any affairs with men
2: before. No, I haven't either. Just teenagers. (laughs) That's right. Priscilla was like, what, 14 when they got together? Yeah. So wild. Okay. So the last story I'm going to get to, and I'm calling this the most (laughs) lighthearted of the bunch, even though it's really not that lighthearted. And this is a scandalous, fucked up story about the marriage of Nicholas Ray and actress Gloria Uh, Graham, who Gloria Graham is, someone Desi and I both adore. I'm gonna get to that. (laughs) Okay, okay. Hold your horses, Rachel. All right, we've kind of hit on the fact that Nicholas Ray was damaged and broken person from whatever his whole fucked up life, and he really met his match with Gloria, who also, I don't think she even particularly had a bad childhood. She was just a natural broken person. If you don't know who Gloria Graham is. First of all, she's like a film noir goddess. Like, yeah. she's in a, a ton of movies uh, of that genre. So if you like that genre, you definitely know who she is. Uh, pro, uh, across the board, famous probably. She's best known as Violet Bick, the town tramp from It's a Wonderful Life, and an early childhood hero of mine and, and Rachel's. Mine. <laughs> she's an amazing character in that movie. Uh, I can tell you, like, as a child, <laughs> as a little hoe in training... I probably said this old thing. where I only wear it when I don't care how I look like a million fucking times as a kid. Like Me too. I thought that was like the fucking line. Like that's like me, like a guy quoting Big Lebowski. That's my line that I quote like a million times. I said it. I can't even think of how many times I've said it in my lifetime. I still say it to this day, like twirl my fucking hair and walk across the street hoping cars crash. <laughs> Dude, that
1: scene when she causes the fucking car crash in the intersection is iconic.
2: It's such... I remember seeing that in my eyes like bugged out of my head. I was like, this is what I want to be when she I grow was, up. She was goals. She was like my first goals. Right. And, totally. You know, and
1: like, I think it's so funny that Desi and I both had such a reaction to this character as young children. Because <laughs> I've seen It's a Wonderful Life probably like a hundred times. Me too. I watch it every year. I it's love amazing. it. And I've seen it since I was a little kid. And the other line that I love that it's not Gloria Graham who says it, but it's her character when she's play when it's like young, the young oh, Violet, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when she, uh, when Mary goes, you like all the boys and
2: she says, well, what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing character for that time too, right. I think. Cause and she's really like lovable in it too. Like totally. And she's so hot in it. I mean, she's amazing. Yeah. So, her other big sort of outside of the film noir genre, even though this might be kind of, I don't know, uh, she won a Best Supporting Actress Award for the movie called The Bad and the Beautiful, which is also a great movie. Um, Bad actually like before, what's her face? Judy Dench won for that role. This might've been the shortest performance ever. It was only nine minutes long that she was on screen. Wow. And I do feel like Judy Dench also was on screen for yes. like eight minutes in that role or something.
1: In the role that she won. Yeah.
2: The queen. I can't remember what it was. I'm sorry. Some other movies that she was in that you might know is a movie called In a Lonely Place. And that's with Humphrey Bogart. She was also in Sudden Fear with Joan Crawford. The funny thing, I, I want to just tell this little story about A Lonely Place with Humphrey Bogart. In that part, she actually was under a sheet, naked, rather than wearing a nightgown, and that caused a huge fucking scandal. When she was criticized for that, she said, "I sleep in the raw because it's comfortable." <laughs> Evolution has caught up with the nightgown manufacturers, and they don't want to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, like, awesome. she is like almost what you see on screen. That's that's like who she is. She's she a is a fucking violet. tough broad. She's violet. She's like all of those fucking. Uh, film noir, you know, girls that she played. She's tough. The one aspect of Gloria that is sort of sad is that she did really become obsessed with her appearance and she always felt really self-conscious about her lips, which were pretty but kind of small. Mm -hmm. Uh, So she started having, like, she started doing weird things like stuffing cotton and tissue in her mouth to give her a fuller mouth. Weird. Uh, And then she started doing more surgical cosmetic procedures to her lips and her face I didn't really go into looking, but apparently she really fucked up her face in sort of ways that were noticeable. I didn't like do a deep dive into that because I don't ultimately really care because I feel sympathy for women who fuck up their faces when they're pressured to be beautiful. But yeah, supposedly some weird shit happened to her lips from doing things. Gloria was married four times and had four children. Her first marriage was to an actor named Stanley Clements. They divorced in June 1948, and the day after her divorce from Clements was finalized, she married director Nicholas Ray. As I mentioned earlier, they had met on the film, which was his second film, called A Woman's Secret. They married in Las Vegas at the El Rancho Vegas Hotel, and Ray seemed almost instantly to regret this marriage. Graham was pregnant at the time. I think she was like about five months pregnant already, So or four months pregnant. So her son Timothy was born like five months after... Yeah. They were married like a classic marriage that is definitely going to last. Well, you know
1: what? My grandma and grandpa got married in Vegas in the 50s. Was she pregnant? My grandma had my dad before she married my grandpa. Okay. And then they got married in the 50s and they're still together. Okay. So it
2: can happen, guys. I'm
1: just saying, it's like the one instance Vegas wedding I've heard of is my grandparents. I don't necessarily think the
2: Vegas thing is my thing. I think when you get married because the person is pregnant. That's usually, like, if you're not already in love right? you're just doing it to be a good person. Right. Oh, your cat's, like, scratching me, I'm She's afraid. She's not
1: allowed to be in here.
2: Um, I'm going to keep going while Rachel gets her cat off of me. These are the moments you guys love. Uh-huh.
1: Romy's, uh-huh. No, Romy's <laughs> not allowed to be in the studio while we're recording, and she snuck in. She's a little bitch. Yeah.
2: So right. on his she, wedding yeah. night at the game, gaming tables that night ray basically tries to lose all the money he has (laughs) and this is what he says about it he said about graham i was infatuated with her but i didn't like her very much there was something vindictive about me that made me stay at the craft tables all night i wanted to be absolutely broke i didn't want her to have any money at all so i lost a bundle like that is like can you imagine that your husband does that the night you get married to make sure you don't get his money he's like i'm gonna lose it all tonight baby losing all my money to own my wife yeah (laughs) What is he, like a right winger on Twitter? Right. (laughs) I'm going to buy this Keurig machine and destroy it to own the libs. (laughs) Um, So Gloria is obviously pretty cool and probably difficult (laughs) in a way, like any great woman is. (laughs) Uh, She's obviously beautiful and smart, but none of that mattered to Ray. He said... Uh, a, fr- a friend of his, Lambert, the guy I was talking about before, said you don't, you know, Nick didn't really like women. He was often physically attracted to them, but he didn't like them, and I think he resented when he was attracted to them. This is like a fucked up relationship. So as I said b- before, they had a son together named Timothy, and after several separations and rec- reconciliations, Graham and Ray will eventually divorce in 1952. And you might be asking, <laughs> Rachel, what was what was it that led to their final breakup?
1: What Are you asking it? that, Rachel?
2: At- Desi, what was it that I'm led? I'm glad that you asked Rachel. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me ask the question. Desi, what was it that led to their final breakup? Okay, Rachel, here you go. As as much of a fucked up asshole as Ray was to Graham at the beginning of their marriage, Graham really took it to the next level. <laughs> when they were getting divorced? When they were about... she uh, she She did the one-up of all one-up times. So... What led to the skids in June of 1951, Ray came home early (laughs) to their Malibu home and walked into his bedroom to find his wife, Gloria Graham, in bed with his 13-year-old son from his first marriage named Tony. (laughs) What? Excuse me? (laughs) You heard me right, Rachel.
0: (laughs) He had just
2: returned from military school and basically lost his virginity to his (laughs) stepmom. (laughs) <laughs> that's fucked up dude that's fucked up like how did i just learn this like recently when i started researching this is like, like an episode of svu i mean it's insane and rachel you better hold your fucking horses because <laughs> it gets more insane holy shit <laughs> so this director biopic director named paul McGigan, he said uh, it was the kind of thing Gloria Graham, the actress, would have done in her movies. <laughs> I don't even know if she's that fucked up in her movies. So, Rachel, when I told you to hold your horses, <laughs> here's why. Because she fucked a literal horse? Yes. She, she uh, Catherine the Great, no. Uh, <laughs> nine years later, she married her stepson. No. And they had two children together. I'm going to vomit.
1: <laughs> that is so gross. Isn't that insane? And, I need to see a picture of this guy. Okay.
2: What's his name? Tony? Tony Ray. So she had two children with him and it was actually her most successful marriage, even though they did divorce. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, his, the, the biographer I mentioned before, Lambert, described it as the most Eugene O'Neill of Nick, moment of Nick Ray's life and that Tony was a nice kid. He always liked him very much and didn't know what happened to him and that. You know, Nick was probably a bad and neglectful father. Uh, His daughter, who I mentioned earlier, named Nika, said that she she thinks the affair had happened because Tony and Gloria shared a mutual hatred of Nicholas Ray, and they had a common enemy, which was the dad. That's so gross. I mean, that doesn't excuse her behavior at all. Uh, He was a child. He's 13 years old. (laughs) How old was she?
1: Like in her 20s or
2: 30s? No, I think she was in her 30s. Holy
1: shit. It just gets worse.
2: Yeah. So I mean, yeah, it's there's no excuse for this. It's fucked up beyond belief. I I, honestly like I want to see what he looks like at 13. I know it doesn't matter, but I'm curious. did, Did he look like a very young boy? Was he like really tall for his age? Like what made it like? That's like so demented. Like, it's so gross. Like there's no excuse for it. And I'm not saying I'm just curious. Was he like a big kid? Where he looked older than he was? Like, how can you fuck a thirteen year old? It's just demented to me. I don't even
1: I just feel like that's where people who aren't twisted in the head, it's like we'll never understand it. Because right. we try and like we try and figure like I'm out, the out the a way gymnastics. that made it okay
2: for her, but there really is just no No, yeah. It's gross. So I mean, even when she got married to him nine years later, he's still, like, in his early 20s, and she's, like, probably 40, right? I right. Mean, or something. Uh, anyways. And it's her stepson. Right. I mean, they were divorced at the time, but this is her stepson. Like, How so long was she it, married this is like, to Nicholas It's, Ray? like, very Woody Allen. Like, it is very Yeah, yeah Woody like, Allen. everything you throw at Woody Allen should be thrown at Gloria Graham. They got married, and no one really found out until 1962... And it, it was, it started becoming, it came out in the tabloids. Right. Um, and that obviously really affected her reputation and career, even at the time. Like, that's not something new that we're all outraged by. It was an outrage at the time, too. Even though I bet you similar things happened with men and they weren't taken down as much as she was. Like, I'm just saying. Right. <laughs> I think both of them should be taken down. That's my only point. I mean, her husband, her, uh, who she had a child with, not Nicholas Ray, tried to get custody of her child like it really fucked up her life at some point she actually had a nervous breakdown because of the stress of the scandal she went under um electroshock therapy uh and like i said before that was her most successful marriage they were together 14 years i think uh nika had this to say on the on the whole situation (laughs) some families are fucked up differently than others like nika come on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the understatement of the year or wow. whatever, whatever year she said it was probably the understatement the <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just going to wrap it up with saying the end of gloria graham's life It actually was the basis of a movie last year called film stars don't die in liverpool starling annette benning who uh-huh. played gloria graham i think that movie did not get a lot of attention i, didn't I actually didn't it. see it either and i love annette benning i love I- her So in 1974, Graham was diagnosed with breast cancer. She underwent radiation and she really did a lot to sort of, you know, change her lifestyle. She changed her diet, stopped smoking, stopped drinking alcohol and was doing homeopathic remedies, like whatever she could do. She did go into remission, but in 1980, the cancer returned and she... Had a hard time uh, accepting her diagnosis. At the time, she was in London doing some acting work and a play. And she uh, met a man named Peter Turner, who was 30 years younger than her. And mm-hmm. they developed a relationship that's basically what this movie is based on. When she found out she was basically terminally ill, she didn't want to tell her kids. She didn't want to like bother anybody. Right. and She was going to stay in London. She right. actually moved into his mom's house in Liverpool. <laughs> She, like, went to his her lover's mom's house to die, basically. Wow. In autumn of 1981, uh, after the doctor told her that her tumor was in her abdomen was the size of a football, like, I mean, it's insanely large, he, she begged him not to tell his kids, but he did eventually, and she did return home to New York on October 5th, 1981, and she was admitted to a hospital in New York City where she died basically a few hours after being admitted. Right. She was 57 years old. So her kids did get to see her one last time. Now one last quote of Gloria Graham's that I'm going to say after she got busted for marrying her stepson who she slept with when he was 13, she had this to say, I married Nicholas Ray, the director, people yawned. Later on I married his son and from the press's reaction you'd have thought I was committing incest or robbing the cradle. Literally it's like, Honey. you doing that. <laughs>
1: Literally, if like,
2: doing that. I mean, the absolute balls on that woman is insane to me. It's mm. like, well, maybe technically... What level of gaslighting I, is that? <laughs> That's like next level. Like, I don't even know... Like, she's separating two separate events. Like, if she had never had the affair with the stepson and she married him later, yeah, it would have been weird. Right. But it wouldn't have been a criminal act. Like, right. Like, you slept with a 13-year-old sister. <laughs> like... <laughs> do you know what I mean like yeah that's that and like I said next week we will get into the deaths of Sal Minio and James Dean and the curse of the spider 1955 Porsche that he died in so that was a lot I'm very excited for next week. <laughs> this was a great episode. There was a pack. You packed in a lot. Des. Dude, I fucking was stressed out today. Desi's been getting it all finished. Busy this week. Yeah. Holy shit. So I had that, a lot to get through. This is a- why it took me so long to get to this episode. I was like, shit, there's another thing. Like, how am I going to do this? Right, right. Um. But yeah.
1: So we do have patrons I want to thank from this past week. If you'd like to become a patron of our show, you can do that at patreon.com slash Hollywood crime scene. We have bonus content available there. We have like probably like 50 episodes at least. Right,
2: And we're working on some new perks. So we definitely are. come back and check that out. We are what, working what on it
1: on a really exciting $10 perk right now. So, but for $5, dollars A month you can get access to all of our weekly bonus episodes like I said before we have like probably 50 episodes that are already up there right now so if you want to binge yeah if you contribute today you could just binge all of them I don't know how long it'll take but (laughs) you could do it so this week we had Brooke Richard Tamara Brandy Morgan Kyle Sally John fitter and that's it
2: cool thank, thank you, you guys. guys so much and then definitely check out our facebook group yes we it's uh very active and we're there a lot so you can chat with us and tell us your ideas for shows and it's mostly i think 100 all cool people yeah uh, we don't have any problems so far No, we, have, <laughs> we had someone who was spamming right yesterday and i got rid of him really quickly right uh So, and then also go to hollywoodcrimescene.com and check out the merch we have. Right. we're working on some other ideas for that as well. Right. uh, That people are asking for. So we'll see what we can do. But yeah. Cool. That's that. Thank you, guys. guys. Bye. Bye.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.